0: He went out to GoFundMe, and he said his campaign had this title, Help me go to the bachelor party of a stranger. (laughs) And the idea was, if he could raise $1,000, He could go to this bachelor party and come to find out, by the way, who's really going to support something like that? He raised $4,615 to go to this bachelor party. By the way, the rest of the money went for his baby for diapers and college and whatever was needed. And yes, he went on the trip. Here you'll see him in the middle of this bunch of guys on this bachelor party, this amazing time. Now, I heard this story because CBS picked it up. Because it makes people smile, right? I mean, going to a bachelor party celebrating a guy you don't know, and you sort of think about what are those opportunities in which we pursue just kind of joy and happiness and peace. And by the way, I want to invite you into this celebration of joy this Christmas. Because all through this Christmas celebration, we're going to look at how joy came to those first people who experienced the birth of Jesus. And how in the coming of Jesus, the floodgates are opened by God to this experience of something so profound, it changes our lives from the foundation. Would you pray together with me? Let's pray. Father, even as we come together today. Lord, um, we need the experience and knowledge of Your joy, Lord, we pursue it in so many different ways. And yet, Lord, we know that a true and lasting joy in our hearts can only come from You. So I pray that You'll lead us on a journey, Lord, that begins where we live and the things that we face. And and brings us to the place where we can see Jesus and what you've done for us in Him. And we thank you and we pray in His name. Amen. David, in this beautiful song from Psalm chapter 16, says, You have shown me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's not as if we have to wait till we get to Jesus to find out that God has joy for us. Right? It's announced very early in Scripture, and it's almost like this river that's flowing with beauty, and we're being drawn to this place of joy. And yet, as we think about it today, there's almost this universal feeling of unhappiness. Right? I think that's why in the Declaration of Independence, right, it, 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 um, it says that we are somehow given this inalienable right to pursue happiness. It's this longing that we have. And yet at the deep, the depths of this, you begin to realize, really, is anybody truly happy? Or happy for, for very long? Long certainly not long enough. Our hearts, it's as if we've been given this hunger that is so deep, almost nothing will really touch it. It's like—and happiness is like that tide that ebbs away, right, as it's going out. And so, we find ourselves thirsting for it again after a holiday celebration as Jesus—I think of the woman at the well that He met was drawing water, and He said, look, if you you drink that, you're going to get thirsty again, but what I have for you, you'll never— thirst again. And I think today we're seeing this clearer than ever. We're in the middle, we're being told, of a mental health crisis. Here's an article recently from the New York Times. It says it all. Why is America so depressed? Why are people's faces downcast? We have so much to be thankful for, amazing resources, and really amazing lives. How could it be possible? And among the worst strugglers in the studies, by the way, are our young people. You would say they have their lives before them. How could they be so depressed? They, and here is why. They report that they really don't see much of a purpose in their lives. They don't see life as really going anywhere, on to any kind of destination. They don't feel there's really a sense of progress in the world, there's no future. And what we're being told is we're giving them stunning technology, but in the process we've robbed them of purpose and meaning and also a connection to God. And like us, they hunger for joy. I remember first reading C.S. Lewis, he, he, the only biographical, autobiographical material he wrote was about his longings as a child. He wrote it in this volume called, The Shape of My Early Life, Surprised by Joy. And basically he discovered as a young person, it was like this hunger in his heart, that he wanted joy, but—and he went looking for it everywhere. By the way, as a young man, he loved to read, so he read a novel of, of Norse mythology, and he thought this was awesome, and he was drawn into it. And the joy of reading it was overwhelming, so you know what he did? He got every volume of Norse mythology he could get his hands on, and he kept reading and reading it, but he found this feeling ebbed away. It wasn't there. Where could he find it? It was like God made him this bloodhound on search of joy. And this is what he said. He said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prize which God could, if He chose, just hand out to anyone. He said, you have to go to the place where it is and and enter into this place. And this is what He sought to do. And in the process, it led Him to God and to faith in Jesus. It led Him to to the source. And that's our journey for this Advent season, to return to the first coming of Jesus, to see the source of our joy. How do we get there? To this experience of joy. I want to talk about embracing God's gift of joy today. As we open up the book of Luke, you may be a little surprised because the story doesn't begin with Jesus. It begins before Jesus. And the reason is, the purpose that Luke has is to immerse us into the moment in which God's people in Israel were living through. We need to, in a sense, see the sadness of this people at the time. We're introduced to a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and this is what we're told about them. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. You see, the reason Luke begins here is these— this couple represent the faithful followers in Israel at the time. You could call them the best of the best. You see, both husband and wife come from the priestly line, that is Aaron, who was Moses' brother. And that made Zechariah not only a priest— But it also not just any priest, he's actually a good man. He's keeping God's law. He's doing what is right before the face of God. But notice this, the text says they're old. Their time is running out. And here's the kicker, they have no children. And they're not going to have any children as he describes it. And in their world to have no children meant they really had no future you see, in telling us about them, we are being shown the nature of the whole nation at the time. They couldn't see their way forward from where they were. They were under Roman occupation. They didn't have freedom. They, they wondered what their future could be. And as we read this story, many of us have found ourselves in this place. Maybe it's a place where you feel like you're in a dead end. You, you can't see forward from here because of something like a dead end job or, or a sickness that you have, something that's overwhelming. And here they are wondering, well, is anything good? Can anything good happen at this time? And it's almost as if we can be stuck in a cycle of discouragement and hopelessness. You feel joyless. Now here we need to stop and get a handle on joy and what it is. What is joy? Why do we long for it? Joy is a sustained gladness. You could call it an inner sustaining delight. It's more than circumstantial. That's happiness. That's based on where you are at the moment. But that moment is going to pass. And the reality about joy is it can actually be felt when you're in a bad place because it's so much deeper. And it lasts because it's connected to something beyond us. Something that cannot be touched by suffering or sadness. So a bad day is not going to extinguish its light. Jesus explained this by telling his disciples, it's like a woman who's been pregnant and has given birth. To her baby. The pain is still there, but now there's something actually deeper and more powerful than the pain. Even her pain is transformed by the fact that her baby has come. And Jesus says, well, that's the way joy works. You could be living in pain, but something could be so great that even your pain is transfigured. One of the videos um, that I was sent by my daughter a few months ago, my daughter and her husband had a little baby boy named Gabe in June, and a point in time comes like two or three months in to new life in which the baby really starts showing tons and tons of emotions. And um, it's one of those videos I watch it over and over again because it makes me smile that I want you guys to see. you gotta love that right the reality I mean think of this God made us for the kind of delight in his presence for this gladness and by the way not in small snatches just here and there but it's the undercurrent of your whole life to give you this joy And actually, Zacharias told that, that when his son comes, he will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. Many will, he says. You see, the failure of Israel and the loss of hope, he says, it's going to be eclipsed by something far greater, something that will reframe all of Israel's story. Do you believe that that's true for you? That there's something so great that God has for us in Christ, that it will be reframed by the story of what Jesus comes to do. This is how, what the text says. Then the, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Zachariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, this whole scene is filled with miracles. Let me tell you why. First, to be a priest, there were so few things that were to be done actually inside the temple every day, and there were so many priests that every day there was a lottery system. They would pull out a name, and if it was your division, then they would go to you, and they would pull another name from your division. And if your name was chosen, you had the privilege of going into the temple. You could serve your whole life as a priest and never go inside. But Zachariah wins the lottery, and he's inside the temple by the altar of incense replacing the coals when an angel appears to him in this moment. And By the way, he is terrified, but we're getting a glimpse of where this joy is going to come from. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about this. He said, we do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become a part of it. But at present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. This is where we live, and this is what we hunger for, right? Now Zechariah knows the story of Israel, and what he sees, what he hears, is that he himself is being invited into this ancient story. He's becoming part of this story. You see, with the birth of a baby, he's being given what he thought was already lost, future and a hope. This is what happens at the coming of Jesus. We are being invited into God's story to get close to the fire, to get wet, you could say. Right? To walk with God, to know God, to have fellowship with God. In Jesus, this is where we are invited to be. To be engaging with God, that we have our life with God as well. Now here's the shocker. Notice what Zechariah does. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now what we learn is this is more than a request for information as to how it's going to happen. We learn he refuses to believe it. Here — and actually the messenger gives him his credentials — I stand in the presence of God. Who do you think I am? But that's not enough. So he tells the angel basically something like this. Look, I know the way babies are made, and we've tried and tried for years. It's not going to happen. And you think, what is this? What is going on? You see, joy is here, and we won't receive it. And this is why we won't. You see, we see our world not as it is. We see our world as we are. So we can't see the goodness of God. We can't see the promises of God. We don't think it's for us, or or we know we're not deserving, or we think that it cannot be real. And I think that's our story. Perhaps you've been searching for so long. Actually, that's what Lewis said. He searched for so long, he wondered, is this just cruelness that the very things we long for we can't find in our world? Will we ever find it? and yes we 've tried pleasure after pleasure, thinking that joy is there we 've substituted happiness for joy, and by the way, ha- happiness isn 't bad it 's just not the real thing. It is like giving cotton candy to to a child at the fair it 's sweet, and it gives them a, a sugar rush. But it doesn't have the nutrients our bodies need. And soon the rush is gone, and it's replaced by a a low-sugar downer, right? And this is what we do with our lives. We chase the rush. We even go to a a stranger's bachelor party, come on! (laughs) We think happiness will last, and in the end we only find diminishing returns. So what is your cotton candy of choice? Where have you chased the rush? By the way, I mentioned C.S. Lewis chased it in Norse mythology. I wouldn't chase it over there. That sounds a little crazy to me. But I think all of us have chased it, right? The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes actually set out to look everywhere for it. He looked for it in work. Maybe it's in your work, in your career. It's in projects. He looked for it in fame and sex and even in religion, you name it. It is an experience that has been tried by every human being since the dawn of time. And yet we continue to look for joy in all the wrong places. Here's C.S. Lewis again. He said, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. If we're not using them to substitute for that deep thing that we all hunger for. This is why all of us as adults have our own cotton candy. But the problem is that happiness is a leaky container. If you read a book, uh, if you like to read, Jonathan Haidt, who's a um, Jewish sociologist, wrote this book, The Happiness Hypothesis. And he sort of looks into where does this stuff come from? What is happiness? And how can we get it? And in there, he cites a very interesting study. It, stu- it, it traced people who won the lottery. Maybe you have said to yourself, wow, if I just had millions of dollars, I could be really happy. Or on the other side, you saw somebody handicapped, and you said, man, if I, if I were a, a paraplegic, that would destroy my life. I would be permanently unhappy. But actually, the studies of people that these things happen to reveal that within just one year, their levels of happiness return to where they were before it all happened. Whether you become a paraplegic or you win the lottery. And as a result, many of us have given up on the hunt. Or maybe we just decide to numb ourselves, right? to the pain of life. In any way we can, we've given up on the possibility of lasting joy. And instead, I think it'd be better if we heeded the call of the ancients. Augustine put it like this. He said, seek what you seek, but not where you're seeking it. We're looking in the wrong places. So don't give up your search. And this is the reason for the longing that every human being has. By the way, I think it's a great proof for the fact we were made by God. Because it can only be found in Him. It's a pointer to the reality of God. Now here's what Zechariah is told. He will be a joy and delight to you, this son, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink. He's going to be set apart for God. And He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before He is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here's this astounding promise. He says he's not only told, look, you're going to have a baby boy. You never believed it would happen, but it's going to—you—he is going to be filled with the Spirit. He will be extraordinary. But there's even more than that. Zachariah learns that it's not just about giving him and Elizabeth a baby. That this little boy is going to grow to become a man who will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, for the Messiah changing our world. Not only does Zechariah have a future, the people of God have a future. God hasn't forgotten His promises. The Lord will come. And here is this reframing of their whole story that will happen in the coming of Jesus. Has that happened in your life? One of my favorite naturalists of the past century is a guy named Loren Isley. You'll see a picture of him. He tells about one of the most important experiences in his life. By the way, he wrote books and looked through microscopes and did a lot of research about all kinds of different animals and plants. He had done it for years, but one day he was in the Pacific Northwest, and he was on a deserted beach, and it was early in the morning and he had become tired as he was walking. He got up so early, and he found shelter from a damp fog under the prow of a wrecked boat. He fell asleep there, and when he opened up his eyes, he was looking squarely into the face of a young fox with two small, neat ears and an inquisitive face. The fox was so young, that it hadn't learned to fear people. It had also taken shelter under that boat for a little while. And so they just stared at each other for a long time. And then the young fox, finding a chicken bone on the ground, grabbed it in its teeth and began to shake it. And on impulse, Isley bent over and grabbed the other end, and the two of them were just frolicking, holding on to each end of that bone. This is what he said about it afterwards. He said, it has been said repeatedly that one can never try as he will get around to the front of the universe. Man is destined to see its far side. Yet here was the thing in the midst of the bones, the wide-eyed innocent fox inviting me to play. The universe was swinging in some fantastic fashion around to present its face. You know what? I don't think he became a real naturalist until this experience happened. And as I think about that, I think we don't really know the joy of God until we find this invitation in Jesus to know God personally and begin to walk with Him. And you see, in joining in that great story of His love that He's written for our world, And you know, you've been given the way in too. Not just Isley with the fox, but you in Christ. You know, once we human beings had this kind of fellowship with God, I sometimes try and think about what must it have been like to walk with God and enjoy God and live in joy all the time. But we chose life apart from God and we lost our joy because there isn't this joy anywhere in our world apart from God. So, Jesus came to restore us to God, to bring us home to the God who loves us, and He wants to restore your joy. You say, how will this happen? It's beautifully wrapped by the angel. The angel tells Zechariah to name his son John. That name means graced by God. You see, we're so dialed into deserving, we can't accept it. That's our story. The key to receiving this joy from God. You see, every religion basically in the world says, look, if good things are going to come into your life, you've got to be a good person. Or if God is going to be for you, you've got to be a good person through deserving. But Christianity is completely different. We are told that God gives His love freely. We are graced by God, and we come to receive and live in this grace by faith. We cannot give ourselves or find the joy that we seek. This deep, pervasive gladness comes from knowing that we are His, that we have a future in Him that can never be lost. You see, that baby given to that childless couple and that, that nation whose story seemed to be over and lost, He came to announce the way of one so much greater, the one who would bring us home to God, to give us joy. Listen to how the first believers describe it. Though though you have not seen him, that's Jesus. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But if you believed in him, You say, hey, what difference does that make? Well, this is describing the very saving of you as a person because you learn that you have a purpose, and your purpose is joined to the purposes of God. Your life matters, and you have a future now, and that will even continue on the other side of your death. It it can't be taken away. It, It can never be put at risk. Perhaps you don't see how powerful this joy is. And earlier this year, I was reading the wonderful story of two guys, Dennis and Lee Horton. You'll see them in their prison garb. These men were picked up in 1993, charged with second-degree murder. Lee was married and has two children. Dennis was engaged to be married. And they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And both of them received a life sentence because they refused a plea bargain. It took 27 years for them finally to be released. You'll see Horton now. And when I heard this story, what struck me was the way Lee talked about his freedom and the new life since being released. This is what he said. I don't think people understand that the punishment is being in prison. When you take away everything, everything becomes beautiful to you. And as they were walking out, he said, all the people were looking at us because we were smiling and we were laughing. I was in awe of everything around me. It was like my mind was just heightened to every small nuance. Just to be able to look out a window, just to walk down a street, just to inhale the fresh air, just to see people interacting. It woke something up in me, something that I don't know if I died or if I went to sleep. I've been having epiphanies every single day since I've been released. I've been reborn into a better day, into a new day. Like the person I was no longer exists. I've stepped through the looking glass into the other side, and everything is beautiful. He said, you think everything is lost? And then all of a sudden, here you are. Your life is given back to you, and it's like, what are you going to do with it? And this is grace. This is what God provides for us in Jesus. Coming to Him and knowing Him, trusting in Him, is like finding yourself in a a new day where you're interacting with God and enjoying Him. You live in His joy, and it's a reminder to me every day, like, am I still settling for cotton candy? Do I think it's in those other things, or do I see that it's found in Jesus? So today as we begin Advent, it's, it's that invitation of God, will you come and, and enter into my joy, the joy that I have for you in Jesus. Maybe as a person you feel like, wow, even when I come here in church, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in, or I wonder if this is for me, and God said, yes. This is why Jesus came. He came for you. Father, thank you for this season that reminds us that we are created by you for joy and lord we know this we know this heart hunger that cs lewis talks about that we've tried to meet in so many ways that have come up empty and yet lord we find it fully met in you and father we thank you for jesus help us to grasp what he has done and to respond to that invitation to walk with you and and enjoy you. And we give you thanks, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Father, in the darkness of our world, a light has shined. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Please stand and join us in singing hymn 151, Good Christian Men Rejoice.
0: joy of this season. If you want to walk through Advent and um, Christmas, Feast of Christmas, the church set aside four weeks because of the the joy of this celebration. And you can go online and tag into the podcast where we walk through every day of Advent together. Um, So I hope you'll be able to share in this season. As you go into the day, go into the day knowing of God's grace, um, that God has graced us by sending us Jesus and inviting us to come freely to him. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.